Welcome to the Sports and Entertainment Podcast, brought to you by MarketScale. I'm your host, Elmer Guardado. Today we're joined by Corey Brandt, General Manager of Food and Beverage at the Sacramento Rivercat Stadium, to talk a little bit about how craft food and farm-to-fork trends are affecting ballparks across the country. How you doing, Corey? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for asking. So, Corey, I kind of just want to start right at the beginning and... So you're general manager of food and beverage for the Sacramento Rivercats. How'd you land a spot like that? Because I feel like that's one of those jobs that's like super thankless that a lot of people don't even really think about, right? It is. You know, I, I started this career um, about 18 years ago, 17, yeah, 17, 18 years ago. Um, I actually was a chef in Connecticut after I got out of the Coast Guard and uh, went on a minor league team's website to look at tickets for a game and saw that they were hiring for a director of food and beverage. This was back in Connecticut. Um, applied for the job, got it, and uh, haven't looked back since. I've been in sports entertainment uh, industry s- since then, since 2001. Wow. Okay. So before you applied, did you even knew this job existed or was this something you ever even thought of? You know, I, I knew that they existed. I just, you know, never really thought about it, um, you know, in you know, being a chef, it was, uh, you know, my first year, I definitely uh, took, a, took a pay cut to go into sports. Um, but, um, you know, I, it's it's been a blessing. I almost feel like I'm typecast into it, which people would uh, would love to have that. Um, but it is. It's great. I mean, anytime you get to go to a ballpark, to a stadium, I mean, I've worked arenas, um, you know, even on your worst day. If I'm having a bad day, I'll go out and walk around and be like, look where I get to work. I get to go to where people pay money to come watch us do what we do. That must be so exciting, right? To just have that energy at all times and, and no matter what, know that you can just walk out and be embraced by all these good vibes. There is, for sure. I mean, especially when I worked for the uh, Seattle Seahawks. Um, you know, that stadium sold out every single game. Um, it, it was just such a huge rush. Our average shift for that on a game day, we would show up probably about 6 a.m. Uh, for a 1 o'clock kickoff, and we wouldn't leave the building until about 8 a.m. the next day. Um, long hours, but again, I mean, the thrill of like feeding 72,000 people in a matter of four hours, um, it's just an absolute rush. Right. So uh, that's kind of what I want to talk about. I want to talk about how that, that, uh, process has changed over time. Like any trends you've seen, you know, throughout, cause I think one of the biggest trends we're seeing just generally in the food industry is this like national movement towards craft foods and beverages and, and this whole like you know, farm to fork situation. So where do you think this trend came from? Do you think this is something relatively new? Yeah, I think it's relatively new. Um, you know, we're seeing it more and more in the sports entertainment industry as well. Uh, when I was with Levy Restaurants, uh, we had uh, Barclay Center in Brooklyn. Um, I think they're one of the first arenas. Every single one of their concession stands is actually a local restaurant that is in Brooklyn. Um, there is no generic, you know, just hot dogs, burgers type stand. It's literally a restaurant from every single um, um, from a restaurants there in Brooklyn. Um, so yeah, I think I think they you know they were kind of the trendsetters with it. And again, farm to fork is a big movement overall. You're seeing it more in restaurants as well. And people you know as much, especially in minor league baseball, um, the food is a big part of the experience. You know, you may not remember who won or lost the game if you go to a minor league game, but you remember if you had a good meal. Um, so, you know, we're a huge part of that experience coming in and people want local, especially being out here in California. Um, Sacramento is a big farm to fork area. We have lots of wineries around being close to Napa, um, lots of farming around. Um, so we, we, you know, all of our burgers are Harris ranch come right, uh, come in fresh, uh, every other day from, um, Harris ranch here in California. 
Uh, we're bringing more and more local restaurants to the ballpark to be set up as subcontractors. It's uh, yeah, it's just the way that the industry is going now. People want to be, um, you know, they love the local. Right. So how how is some how do these kind of changes affect business? Is providing more locally sourced foods more expensive? Yes and no. Um, it, it's kind of funny. I mean, no matter what you do, you see your top ten, uh, and a lot of uh, industries seeing this um, for sports entertainment. Your top ten to twenty items are always going to represent about eighty five percent of your total sales in the building. So bringing in like uh, a local restaurant, a local farm to fork. Um, might be perceived as a little bit more expensive, but I mean, again, you're getting fresh vegetables. We actually have gardens here at the ballpark where we grow peppers, tomatoes. Uh, we have a vineyard out in Wright Field where we'll be doing um, uh, about a half barrel of wine uh, cab next year. Uh, we have kiwis, figs, and we use everything. Corn, um, we use that in our sweet menus um, throughout the stadium. Um, so, you know, we're, we're blessed to have that here at this ballpark, um, but even, you know, sourcing local um vegetables and produce isn't as bad as what people, you know, the perceived um, uh, value behind it is, but it's, you know, it's, it's, it's what people want is that whole local thing. And again, the, the top 10 items are always going to represent 85% of sales. So if you have it there, you're doing great. Uh, but you know, the big drivers are always going to be beer, hot dogs, soda, you know, water when you go to a ballpark, chicken tenders, believe it or not. Right. So some of these simpler things that, you know, I think, a lot of people do think about immediately when they think of ballpark food. Do these, are these still, once you switch over to, you know, a more locally sourced system, do these stay consistent? Are these still the same top sellers from before? Yeah, they, they stay fairly, uh, they stay fairly flat. Um, again, you will, you will get a little bit of hit on uh, hot dogs. Again, because people are trying to eat more healthy. And again, being out in California, you have a lot of, um, more people who are health conscious uh, when they come to the ballpark. And we get emails about it all the time. Uh, for example, we brought in this year uh, vegetarian wings. Um, I figured we'd go through maybe four cases um, throughout the whole entire season. Didn't think there would be a huge hit, but, you know, wanted to add an extra vegetarian option to the menu. Uh, we went through four cases the first night. We had an exhibition game against the San Francisco Giants, and we blew through four cases in one night. So, I mean, it's there. The demand for that type of fresh local um, – you know, vegetarian options, um, uh, different things is, is there for sure. But, you know, ballparks in general, um, you're still going to see, you know, the hot dogs and, and beer, soda, whatnot. Um, and we've seen a huge explosion this year in our craft beer market. Um, we expanded our, our craft beer options throughout the ballpark and, and sales are about four times what they were last year um, at this point for craft beer. Wow. What are some what are some big brands you're, you're seeing over there uh, popping off right now? So right now, um, we created this uh, new area in the ballpark called Needy Valley. Um, basically, it was a it's in the front uh, gate part of our stadium. It was like a storage area that our operations team was using. It was like paint cans and signs, and you know, I'd walk by it. And I'm like, hey man, we have this beautiful ballpark. What can we do in this space? So I'm like, instead of complaining about it, I'm gonna come up with a solution. So I created this this beer alley, and then our great sponsorship team here um, sold it. Um, the sponsorship rights to Need Eep, which is a local brewery uh, up in Auburn, uh, California. Um, so they actually brew a beer for us called Sack Fly PA. Um, it's only available in draft here and it actually hit the market in cans about a month ago and it's just been on fire. Uh, so Need Eep definitely has a huge presence here uh, in the ballpark with Need Eep Alley. <clears throat> and then down, we have a beer garden down left field as well with 16 different taps. Uh, mostly local beer. Uh, we do have some 
um, like Golden Road, which actually just opened a brewery here in Sacramento, but they're out of San Diego. Uh, but we try to stay fairly local with uh, the beers we have down uh, in Beer Garden that we offer. So with all these moves to, you know, pushing for, for local business, has this helped or, or, or boosted, you know, your relationship with the, the city you serve? Yeah, I mean, I ju- actually just joined a group on Facebook called Sacramento Beer Enthusiasts. They're, they're blowing us up in a good way, talking about uh, great options we have for beer this year at the stadium. Um, craft beer here in Sacramento is blowing up right now, uh, as it is in a lot of cities. Um, but people love seeing it. We actually do a huge brew fest here um, in May, every May, where we have about 52 breweries come. We uh, line the outfield morning track with them. Make a big beer fest. Everyone gets to come and sample their beers. Uh, and we actually added this year the first 12 breweries to sign up. We will serve their beer uh, once a homestand in one of our beer areas. So that's been hugely popular. Um, then we have another beer cart on the third base side where it's 100% local, all Sacramento beers, which um, has been very, very popular as well. That's Yeah, that's super cool. So for anyone that, like, you know, gets scared about these kind of conversations about, you know, uh, the whole idea of, of uh, caring about where your food comes from or anything like that. Do they have anything to fear? Like, is our traditional stadium foods going away? I don't think they're going away. I mean, I think that's an expectation when people go, especially in baseball. You expect to go get peanuts, Cracker Jack, hot dog, uh, beer, soda. I mean, I don't think that's ever going to go away. But uh, again, like I said before, people's expectations are changing. You know, it's a big part of the experience of going out. It's not just about the ball game anymore. It's about what the cool things. I mean, like you see up in Seattle, they have the uh, grasshoppers. Um, it's just unique things that different stadiums are doing. Um, but uh, yeah, it's never it's never going to go away. You know, the, the main staples at stadiums. But you know, the expectation grows immensely every year of what what's new and what's going to be local and what's uh, what's fresh. Right. And you mentioned it like before, right? But I think there is something true about California specifically, right? Like you're you're trying to serve the people that are are there and that's definitely one of the biggest markets for this whole movement, right? With craft beer and and locally sourced food. So it it totally adds up, right? Yeah, absolutely it does. Otherwise, you know, we we wouldn't do it. Obviously, we're here for the fans, we want to make them happy. And I'm fortunate enough, I actually just moved here a little over a year ago from Seattle. Again, another market, really big into farm pork, uh, big into craft beer. Um, so, you know, bringing some of those ideas, what we did up there down here, uh, has helped immensely as well. Right. So, you, you talked a little bit about some of the specific things that uh, you've done with the River Catch, right? But how, has there been any any specific moments you've had with uh, where you've been able to see one-to-one how making some of these changes has enhanced like fan engagement or ha- have any of these food level changes, you know, reflected in, in the overall experience of the ballpark? Yeah. I mean, we, we add, as we add new carts and new, um, new items throughout the menu, the menu. Um, the big thing is, is scaling back your menu while adding u- new, unique local things. Um, again, so you're not looking at a menu and become overwhelmed. There's 5,000 things on the menu. Not, not really, but you know what I'm saying. Uh, but getting those, having those staples, and then having those unique items, uh, two or three of those unique items in each. Uh, we call our concession stands here storefronts. Um, so a uh, unique item in each one of the storefronts. Um, we do see a, a big boost on, on new items. Um, not so much of a local thing, but it is uh, something unique we do here at the ballpark. We have Irish nachos 
Um, basically, they're tater tots. We make our queso from scratch every day. We don't use that Gell's type cheese that comes out of the machine. Um, all of our cheese sauces for nachos and whatnot is made here fresh every day. Um, our chili, we actually use, uh, we smoke about 80,000 pounds of tri-tip um, here at the ballpark throughout the season. And none of it goes to waste. All the scraps from after shaving it down and slicing it um, goes into our chili. So we make our chili from all the scraps of our tri-tip. So, it's, you know, again, using that local beef um, and uh, creating something and, and having zero waste. That's another big thing uh, you're starting to see more and more in, in the restaurant industry. It's uh, zero waste type restaurants. Right, of course. So what are some of the obstacles that come with, right? Like we're talking about, I think we're we're, we're clear past the sign where, you know, maybe five, six years ago, people would have called this new movement, you know, a trend or a fab that was going to go away. And I think it's clear that this is here to stay. But I'm curious, what are some of the, the obstacles or hurdles that come with trying to stay so relevant and ahead of these like trends, you know, especially with, you know, this, this uh, generation we're seeing now where, you know, there, there seems to be something new every other day. Yeah, it is tough. You're right. It's, um, you know, because you, you get rid of something. We look at our menus every year, what sells, what doesn't sell. Um, the chef and I sit down and plan out menus and think about new ideas year after year. But we're starting to do that throughout the course of the year now, not waiting to the end of the season to do it. Um, you know, we're getting a lot of, we were using a uh, fairly local sausage um, out of the Bay Area. We weren't getting great reviews about it, so we actually went local, local. Um, and, you know, right here in Sacramento, um, brought some sausages in there local and they're just been on fire. Um, but again, when you, when you change anything, you're always going to have some people upset that love that item that you may have gotten rid of, um, and trying to explain them to them that, Hey, we only may have sold a few hundred throughout the course of the year. You know, we, we want to do this to make it better. Uh, but it's very similar. Um, again, you're never going to please all the people all the time. Um, so anytime you change stuff, you're going to have some people upset, but again, you have more people that are, are happy about it. Like this year over last year, I came in about halfway, uh, about a third of the way into the season last year. And, you know, this year, nothing but like rave reviews of everything that we've been doing so far, which is, which is awesome. Cause like you said in the beginning, it is kind of a, a thankless job that we're in. We're in the spotlight. And I always tell our fans something I learned when I was in culinary school. You're only as good as your last meal, right? If we have a great day, awesome. You're, you know, everyone's going to talk about it. We feel good. We go home feeling good. Uh, but that one time where we're not serving a customer fast enough or where, you know, uh, something wasn't just right for them, you know, we're only as good as that last meal. So we always are striving to do better every single time. Right. So, Corey, before I get to, to our last question, uh, we want to play a little game with you today. So I'm going to give you a list. I have a list of stuff in front of me. Okay. And you're just going to tell me if you think it's overrated or underrated. <laughs> All right. Sound good. And if and if needed, feel free to give me a reason. So we'll start. We'll start relatively easy. Stadium hot dogs. Uh, <laughs> it's a tough one. Depends on on the hot dog brand. Uh, I've had some really good ones and I've had some really bad ones. I'll say. Uh, I'm going to say underrated because you you do hear about it if someone doesn't like the hot dog. Right. Stadium chili. You mentioned that. Yeah, stadium chili. Again, I'm going to go underrated on that. Yeah, I think. I mean, you sold me on it when you were describing it, so I I definitely agree on that. <laughs> yeah, it, it it really is amazing. <laughs> so one of the one of the bigger beers at most ballparks, Anheuser Busch. Wow. So they're sponsors. So you put me in a tough spot here. So the sponsors are always. Uh... Oh man. All right. Let me change it. Bud Light. Bud Light. 
Here, I'm going to say it's it's underrated. Coors Light is the number one selling domestic beer in our really? ballpark. Really? Wow. Personally, I, 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 prefer, I prefer Bud Light over Coors Light. Okay, okay, I feel that. The movie Moneyball. The movie Moneyball. Uh, underrated. I mean, that's a, it's a great thing. We used to be a A's affiliate here in Sacramento. And if you look out, I'm actually in the press box doing this right now. And you look out in the outfield, you see, what is it, one, two, three, four, about 12 division titles and five championships for AAA. Uh, that was all during that Moneyball phase. So I'm going to say it's underrated. Um, yeah. You know, what, what Billy Bean did for baseball and the analytics, it's, you know, everyone's doing it now. Yeah, it seriously changed the game. Absolutely. The Yankees. <laughs> Yankees, I'm going to say, I'm a Yankee fan. I grew up in Really? Connecticut. Okay. Uh, going to Yankee. My daughter's named Mattingly after Don Mattingly. So, you know, I would say never, neither overrated or underrated. I mean, they're, they're, they're awesome. I mean, they're the uh, they're the benchmark of what everyone wants to be. That's that's so funny. I didn't even know that. I was just asking generally, but that's. <laughs> well, you're right, yeah. right. The San Francisco Giants. San Francisco Giants. Um, I'm going to say underrated. I mean, they have a lot of talent on their team right now. You know, they have a lot of in- injuries, which has been pretty good for us. We've seen those guys come through here to rehab. We had Madison Bumgarner, instant sellout. We had Johnny Cueto for a couple starts here. Um, Jeff Samar just started a couple games here. Hunter Pence was here for almost a month. Um, you know, they just have been plagued with injuries. So I'm going to say they're underrated. I think they have actually a really good squad and a lot of young guys that just got called up. So they can get better. Yeah. And, and that's funny. That That's my team. And, and yeah, the, the injury situation has been a, has been a killer. <laughs> the city of San Francisco. I know you're, you're not too far off from there. Yeah, not too far off. And I actually went to culinary school just north of there. Um, oh, okay. I'm going to say uh, underrated. It's a great city with a lot of culture, a lot of great restaurants. Um, yeah, definitely, definitely underrated. When you when you think of California, most people think of L.A. They don't think of the Bay Area right away. Oh yeah, for sure. And I think that that was one of the the first things. Uh, I spent a lot of time in San Francisco too, and and that was one of the things that blew me away. Like I didn't realize the food movement was so like oh, popping yeah, over there. Like they're doing a lot of interesting stuff. Yeah. And then our last question. Kind of timely. Fireworks. Fireworks. You know, I probably have seen in my 18 years of doing this, thousands and thousands of fireworks shows. They bring people in, so I, I, I can't say they're overrated. Uh, I mean, they don't do much for me, <laughs> but uh, uh, people love them. People love seeing us blow thousands of dollars up in the air. Uh, <laughs> so uh, I'm going to say, yeah, neither overrated or underrated. I mean, I think they're, I think, you know, they're still a popular thing. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure, yeah, like, seeing it so much ends up doing nothing for you, but... Yeah, the worst one, I was down in uh, Port Charlotte, Florida, for the Rays organization. I was uh, the GM of that team, actually stepped out of food and beverage for a couple of years. We had to, we shot the fireworks off in the back practice fields. Uh, so, you know, it's the spring training complex for the Rays, so they have about six fields in the back. So every night after uh, launching the fireworks, we'd have to go pick up all the shells. Um it was 96 degrees out with 100% humidity, just working a 14-hour day, picking up uh, shells in the in the back where there's alligators and all kinds of animals, wild boar. Uh, you know, definitely uh, made me not appreciate fireworks as much. But, uh, but uh, thank that'll you do it. Goodness. We'll have to do that here. All right, Corey. So our last question for you is: you know, you you've been doing this for a while now, and, and in different varieties. What do you what do you see in the future? What what gets you excited about where this industry could potentially go? You know, I think the biggest thing besides the farm to fork movement that we uh, and the craft beer uh, movement that we spoke of is you know, the technology. 
Um, I think you're, you know, we brought in Partake this year uh, to do our in-seat ordering. It was a big uh, bone of contention last year with our, our guests. We had a lot of issues. We have over 3,000 seats of our 14,000 here that had uh, in-seat ordering. Um, couldn't get to all those people all the time, so we partnered up with uh, Partake to do mobile ordering. Um, and it's been a huge success. Um, you know, complaints have gone down. I only, honestly have probably have had less than two uh, the whole entire season. Um, and we actually expanded that to our concession stand as well, where people who are not in the NC um, service seats can order from a couple of our storefronts uh, and pick it up. But it's cool. It's cool technology where it'll tell you, okay, your order's been received. Your order is 30 minutes uh, away from being ready. It'll keep giving you a, a countdown, like 15 minutes. It'll update you throughout. Okay, your order's now ready to you come pick up. That way you're not waiting in a line on a Friday or Saturday night when thousands of people are here. Um, you're, you're in your seat enjoying the game um, and, not, and not missing any of it by waiting in, in line at a concession stand. Um, another thing I think you're going to see more and more, and I think you're already seeing it mostly on the NFL side, is experiences. The younger millennial generation, um, you know, wants to, it's not about what the game is happening on the field anymore. It's the experiences that they have. So creating these new unique experiences to go to, and we're looking at possibly doing something in our outfield next year. <clears throat> Needy Valley was last year. Um, just creating these these experiences when people come to the ballpark, um, these different little areas where there's more happening than, than just what's going on on the field. I think you're going to see more and more of that. NFL is really big on that with the fantasy lounges. Uh, fantasy sports obviously is a huge thing for the NFL. Um, a lot of teams are starting to create fantasy lounges where people go and watch you know updates of their fantasy teams and, and whatnot um but yeah i think that's more you're going to see a lot more of that in the, in the next 10 years or so well that's exciting well Corey, thank you so much for joining us today I, I appreciate your time immensely no worries i appreciate you taking the time Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you'd like to find out more or listen to previous episodes, you can go to marketscale.com industries and subscribe to articles, podcasts, and video content for your favorite industries. I'm your host, Elmer Guardado. Have a good day.